Welcome to Enjoying the Journey. Hey, it's Rob. And whether this is your first time tuning in or you've been joining us for a while, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for letting us share other people's journeys. You know, my wife and I are on a journey right now as our firstborn son. Well, it's not just our firstborn son. It's our only son, but he's our firstborn. Graduates high school in just a couple weeks. Man, where did the time go? You know, it's awesome and scary all at the same time. Things are a little crazy around our house. My wife wants everything perfect, and you know, I can't blame her. I do too. The house needs to be in tip-top shape, the garage cleaned, organized and repainted, the lawn and landscaping, well, looking its best. Why? Because our little boy, who's not so little anymore, graduates. And you know, mom just wants everything perfect. So, I'll be on the journey with her to try and get everything done before he graduates. It will be a joy to celebrate with our son, our family, and friends. It's been an 18-year journey. So soon he'll be off on his own, blazing his own trail. That's the awesome and the scary part. I guess that's true of many journeys. They're awesome and scary at the same time. But there can be joy along the way. Today, I'm excited about our guest, Steve. And I hope as you hear his story, you'll find a little more joy in your journey Friends, I had so much fun talking to Steve, and he has so much insight into life, into being somebody that would be considered having a disability and a different uh, ethnic background. But he brought so much wisdom that I just can't wait for you to hear this conversation. All right, welcome to Enjoying the Journey today. We are so excited. We have Steve Hanamura with us, and we cannot wait to talk with him and to learn more about his story. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And, and Steve, can you can you just give us a little background on your story? Well, uh, I have been blind from birth, okay? So uh, now the other part of the story that uh, that is equally as important is my Japanese heritage because I was born during World War II, mm. and the Japanese Americans were sent off to internment camps, and so uh, I was born actually in Brighton, Colorado. My parents had just left internment camp. It was not safe to come back to California yet, but my dad wanted to get the, the, my family out of there. I had a brother who died in camp, also another brother who was by, uh, two or three years old, and they left uh, post in Arizona. That's where they were in internment camp. And uh, the doctor in Colorado said, I don't work on Japs past midnight. So he pulled me out with forceps because mom wasn't ready really for me to be delivered. Oh. And so that's the begin. That's my entry into the world. Wow! And uh, for a long time, they thought that's why I was blind, but that's not the case. Mm. Uh, so what ensued was several uh, visits to the eye doctors. Uh, they moved to Philadelphia again, wanting not able to come back to California. And oh, I saw eye doctor after eye doctor for years and years and years. Oh, sorry about the phone there. Boy. And finally, I said, um, "I'm done seeing doctors." Please no more. And my parents heard me. They they understood it. it was, I was seven years old, trying to find out the problem, and so uh, so that's how the story began. Wow. And then at the when we did move back to California, it was 1948. And back in the day, uh, Rob, students who are blind could only go to one school in the state that you lived in. 
Now, I live in Oregon now. I'm in Beaverton, Oregon. The blind school was in Salem. Mm. But because I lived in California, I went to the California School for the Blind in Berkeley, where my parents lived 40 miles east of Los Angeles. Hence, uh, residential school began for me at the age of five years old, and I would come home Christmas and summer. Wow. So that's the beginning of the story. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is unbelievable. That that I how I I just want to ask how have you dealt with that? I mean, the thought of some a doctor saying we don't work on jabs after midnight to you know, I'm blind because he pulled me out with with forceps. Mentally did did that do anything? To, did you have to Well, uh, I was more consumed with having to leave home. Uh, that was hard. I, I mean, I, I was, it was so miserable. In fact, um, I flunked the first grade. I was not happy. You know, it was very clear. I did kindergarten, went to first grade, did not pass wow. uh, because I would refuse to learn how to read and write Braille. Mm. And finally, after the second year in the first grade, the superintendent went to the second grade teacher and said, I'm passing this boy up to you because I don't know what to do with him. Oh, wow. So I am, uh, I am, you know, in the second grade now, still don't know how to write or read Braille. Okay. But that year or the year prior, I did fall in love with baseball hmm. and uh, I got the mumps. And if you had the mumps, you had to go to the, the, the school infirmary. So you're, you're isolated again for seven or 10 days, but I learned to love baseball. Wow. And so I would go to class broadcasting baseball games while the rest of the class was doing their lesson. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's game between the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Philadelphia Phillies. And I would be broadcasting it. Finally, one day, teacher came to me and said, Stephen, you, you, you will never be able to broadcast baseball games between innings and read the commercials unless you learn Braille. And I said, I could do that. She said, not until you learn Braille. <laughs> and that got she got me she uh -huh. got me i went from the back of the class to the top of the class it was january when she hit me with that mm. and by the end of may i was yeah i think the sec second or first best reader in the class wow changed everything changed absolutely everything. so we I, i'd already spent two years in the first grade wow and in the second grade but it was sports the love of baseball that got that turned it around for me because she, she knew how to get to me like, I love it. Do you still love baseball today? Yep. Oh, yeah. Do you still broadcast it from time to time? Oh, no, well, no, I don't broadcast <laughs> it anymore. But uh, I did it for a talent show, though, in the fifth grade. I broadcasted a game. And by the, but see, the, the Dodgers and Giants weren't, were still in New York. They were not in uh, California oh. yet. So I had to broadcast the game between the Yankees and the Indians. Cleveland uh, Indians. That's awesome. That Are you a awesome. baseball fan? Uh, I, I like baseball. I'd say... I, a fan, yes. Meaning, I love going to the ballpark. Yeah, I I love being at. So I got to go to uh, the Cubbies. Not Wrigley, beautiful Wrigley. Yeah. Yep, Wrigley. the Angels, L.A. Angels, uh, was the farm team for the Chicago Cubs. So we had our own Wrigley Field awesome. uh, in Los Angeles until the Dodgers moved west, of course. Sure, sure. So I I I appreciate it. I love taking the family once a summer or, or whatever to go to a, wow. to, to a game. I guess if I, if I had to, uh, my two favorite sports, which is crazy, football. I love football. Actually, football, okay. Yep, okay. I got three now. My son ran cross country, so I, I oh. never thought I'd love cross country, but I get to talk to you about running in a bit, so that'll be awesome. And Well, I, see, I, I uh, truthfully, uh, 
I rooted for the Southern California teams because my parents were there, but I was predominantly in the Bay Area. So people were Giants fans or oh. Oakland A's fans, of course. And that was fun. We had a lot of fun. We, we would, uh, the Southern California, we were smaller, but mightier, you know? Yes. We would get in fight with each other. It was fun. It was fun fight. And you know what I mean? I mean, you, I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and I understand he, he, here's a question I want to ask. When did you first become passionate about diversity and inclusion and then training others about these things? Well, see, I don't, that, that's a tricky question because diversity and inclusion didn't become an industry. I mean, you, you'd have to go first, you got to go forward to, well, well, wait a minute. The first Civil Rights Act was passed in 1866. That would, none of us were here then, right? Right. But then in 1964 was the Civil Rights Act that changed everything. I mean, the, the civil, you, you had, disability wasn't there yet. We got left behind when all the other stuff passed. Right. But I still got passionate about it. You know, uh, the Vietnam War was going and, and diversity and inclusion. So inclusion didn't really hit the marketplace hard until the 1990s. But I became, I was always passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, there was no system yet. Because I, I, was, I was driving for Japanese people and for people with this, blind people. Oh. I mean, now the blind people actually were the forerunners in the 1930s of legislation for you know, things that weren't right. And mm -hmm. then of course, but the other disability groups got left out until the Rehab Act of 73. And then of course the ADA in the 1980s. And I was in Berkeley when the ADA got unveiled. So mm. Center for Independent Living. So, uh, so w when I got passionate, I don't know if that was, maybe the question is how did I get into the industry? Yeah. I think part of that was because people labeled me as, well, you'd be good to talk about people who are different. And it wasn't yet an industry. It was just something I was good at, right? Right. And so I follow, I was there at the beginning of the outset of the diversity and inclusion movement, the Rehab Act. I was in, in the mix. So I guess, um, you know, I was trying to be integrated into sighted society. So I worked hard to become, I was not going to work with disability at all. I, I, I got my master's degree in counseling and got a job at a community college in Eugene. And then heaven only knows later, I became, I ended up at the blind commission, which was my pathway because it was a federally funded project. Cause I realized then my dream was to become a private consultant so I could go see my family. Cause I got married up here in Oregon, which meant I didn't get to see my family, my mom and dad and brother all the more. So I got to get employment that will help me be able to travel to them yeah. or fly them to me on frequent flyer miles. And those yeah. are the two things that helped me decide I wanted to become a private consultant, fly around the country, work for organizations, get air miles, and then I could go see them or fly them up to me. And that was this, that was a driving force. It had nothing to do with the work itself. <laughs> it's what the work could get me that I wanted, which was to connect with family. That's that's awesome. And I mean, just so direct. And in listening to you talk, so some of our listeners probably know. I have a disability as well. I mean, that's what yeah. we label these things as. Yeah. But you grew up in such a different era. Different era. Oh, yeah. disability was was so discounted. I mean, it wasn't even part of the civil rights movement in 1964. Right. So right? when you went to school all the way through high school, did, did you have to go to that separate school all the yes. way through? Yes. Now, in high school, I lived in the dorms and went to a public high school. 
but we had to go back to the blind school because people would come and help us do our homework. And, and that was a time when you had people read to you. Mm. And, oh, it was awful. It was the, I, I'm horrible at math. I, I, I couldn't do the SAT test. I think I scored in the 300, you know, the 300 is a very bad score. Sure. I was in the second percentile of my, my major course of study psychology. Who in the world is going to accept me? I just don't do concepts, visual constructs. Mm. And that, that translated, I'm stupid. See, right. that's called internalized oppression, by the way. If you look at it now, yeah. you internalize what the messages you receive. Um, and that happens for African-Americans too. A lot of internalization of, so what the heck, I'm just going to riot. I'm going to be stupid. I'm going to do, you know, but they feel the pain, but they're, they're, it's not true. It's called internalized oppression because you're, you're outed because of your disability or because of your race, which for me, Japanese, Japanese are very smart people. So I had to live through that stereotype. But I did. I wasn't very smart. I wasn't getting good grades. Right. Um, I, I'm amazed that one school accepted me into graduate school, but it was a good school because it was interactive, and I just took off. I soared. I I stepped into my own. Came into my own. I was. A, I found out I could lead groups. I was good at helping um, people talk to each other, and I just had to learn the skills, and that became my mark. But it wasn't until well into my twenty. 30s that I started to flourish as far as coming of age of who I am as a person. Absolutely. I, I got my first job at the age of 25, but it was a big celebration because who would, who's going to accept a guy that was in the second percentile in his major course of study? What graduate school would even accept me? And the U of O did. They saw some other things in my outside activities. They saw I was a leader everywhere I went in high school, even with, with the sighted students. I became on the student body council. And then in the college, I was a student body officer, junior class president. So somebody was seeing a leadership in me that I didn't see in myself. Sure. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. Even at the blind school, I got nominated to be student body president in the seventh grade and I lost. <laughs> in fact, but in the eighth grade, I won. I was student body president at the blind school, which went through the ninth grade. Okay. Somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Oh, that's awesome. So you don't become a leader until somebody sees it in you anyway, no matter how good you are. At least in those days, somebody is, saw something in me that I didn't see. That is so good. That is so good. And so now you're consulting. You're in yep. the disability world. You're helping people. How does how does faith fit into this? I mean, oh, oh. faith is faith is the whole story, man. You, that held me to, you know, I, I was baptized when I was seven. Okay. Okay. Here's a story. After, well, well, first of all, the Japanese, my parents uh, were taken from their home in Southern California. There were two Caucasian families that, that saved my parents' house. They would have lost it. Japanese people lost their homes when they got out of camp. Wow. The home was trashed. All the china and mom's precious things were destroyed, but at least... These two white people saved the home. And uh, so when I came back, there was a Baptist minister who hired mom as a housekeeper. Okay. Okay. Now, back in the 1950s, she eventually became the executive assistant of that church, which 
Let's see. What what's your where are you at? Are you in California or Iowa? Are you I'm in I am in Iowa. I'm okay. in Iowa. Think of a church that you have that's four thousand strong in membership. Out here we have solid rock or sure. you know, so moms actually worked in the Baptist church that in the 1950s eventually grew to a membership of two or 3,000 people. Wow. She was the executive assistant for that pastor. And so she, that guy and, and one other made it, made an opening for mom and dad to like, okay, we're going to help these people get back on their feet. Right. And so that, so faith, I, all that said, my brother and I were baptized when we were kids. I was baptized at the age of seven years old. And uh, the church gave me, well, in those days, the New Testament in Braille, because there, no, there was no such thing. I didn't have an Old Testament Bible yet in Braille. In fact, I didn't get that till the 1980s. Wow. But in, in 1951, I was given the King James Version of the Bible, and you better believe I read it. And then the Revised Standard Version. Nice. And uh, there was a kid at school who, Danny Lambert, he was an older boy. And uh, he led Bible study at the blind school. So I said, okay, I'm going to join this Bible study because I'm going to pray to God and he's going to heal me because God heals the blind. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I hear you. So I was, I was a net pony for a long time, which obviously didn't happen. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's how it started. It's back to your question. That's how the faith journey started. So I always stayed true because faith was still, oh, you know, a lot of anxiety, as you can imagine. And I, yep. I needed to lean on the Lord for my anxiety attacks and, yep. and the trauma of being away from home and all that. You know, there was just a lot there. <laughs> well, that, that's what I'm talking about. There is so much that you went through. And, and let me ask this question, because I love that you brought it up. You were praying to God that he heals the blind. Oh, totally. When or have you decided, <laughs> you know what, that... Maybe that's not going to happen this side of heaven. And and did you get there? Have you gotten there? And or yeah, I'm there now. But I have to say, I've written two books. Okay. Okay. And the second book is called "I Can See Clearly," mm. and the first one's called "In Search of Vision." Okay. Mm -hmm. Both very and, good. And, 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 and if I write a third book, it'll be called "Beyond Our View." <laughs> but, I love it. I love but it. But anyway, the first chapter of "I Can See Clearly" begins. I tell the story of being in my pastor's office, throwing a box of Kleenex across the room and saying, I, excuse me, I'm going to use a bad word here. Okay. I can't take this shit anymore. <laughs> and I threw the box of Kleenex across the room and fell to the floor and started crying. Mm. And he came and he held me. And, and the thing I was upset at that time was everybody in church could do these things like play golf, play cards. And yeah. I was always isolated. I was left out what the heck is church about? You guys don't even pay attention to me. Well, that woke this pastor up. And he, he took me on. He taught me how to slalom ski. He has a boat. Oh. He would go tandem bike riding with me, with me in the front and him telling me what to do. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Any see, crashes or not so bad? Uh, not almost. Near crash. <laughs> but see, that, that was a seminal moment in my faith walk. Now I've been, I've been worshiping at church. Sure. But man, church, church, everybody was playing and doing stuff, but I was always left out. I didn't feel like a man, much less being blind. I mean, what use am I? What? And that, that one experience woke him up. Wow. 
And uh, he just embraced the whole thing, you know, and we're still good friends today. He's in his 90s. He's in a, in a senior assisted living center, right? Yeah. Uh, and for the record, I'm 77. Okay, so. Seriously? Yeah, that gives you, yeah. So that gives you. You know, I should have been doing the math while you were talking, but you don't look 77. Well, that's what people tell me, but. Uh, <laughs> you don't. You really okay. You look. So, great. You know, it's hard, and you know this, you love sports. Yes. It's hard. And you know this being in the wheelchair. I mean, it's like there are some inconveniences that we have to learn how to manage. Yes. And still believe and trust God. And God is using both of us, right? Or all three of us. Right. And but boy, it takes a while to get there. You know what I mean? Yep. To really get there, get there. And and that's what I love. That's why I'm asking you this, because because you're I'm 44. Okay. So you've got 33 oh, you're, you're years. The age of my kids. Hey. Yeah. Yes. And and I can hear this in your spirit that yeah. you are you're comfortable with who. Oh man, I mess with people now. My job is to mess with people. Uh, I love it. I want to get to where you're <laughs> at. That's because it doesn't seem like you have any animosity, disappointment, or anger at well, God. You, you got to be okay. Well, it's okay to have a bad blindness day. In fact, when I met my wife, yeah. I said three times a year I have a bad blindness day. Okay. The world's the world is just crappy, you know. It just yep. is. Yep. Uh, but somewhere in that process, something gets released. But for a while, but okay. But you got to be with it. You got to be with the anger, the isolation, and the hurt. You have to be with it, and you've got to find someone who will be where be there with it. And you can. You don't have to be on. This is a crap day, man. I'm not into it today. You've got to find someone with whom they will hear you, and, and they're not going to do. You don't want a therapy. You just want to be able to say it and be ticked off for today. Yeah. I, I don't have blind, bad blindness days anymore. I have bad blindness moments. Wow. I mean, I get frustrated on the computer sometimes. When I, well, I even had to call my wife down here to help me get on. Yeah. So I couldn't quite read. So that was an irritation. It wasn't the big deal. You know what I mean? I, uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. So I, I need to have help walking across the house when I get home from work. And yeah just to walk across because i can still walk some in in so i'm not in the chair all the time but oh i see what you're saying okay so so literally walk some people are in the chair and they say walk so i I needed to clarify that yes i'm I'm physically walking and i'll get agitated because i'll be like hon can you walk me to my chair physically walk because i'll hold on to her arms of course and she'll decide to pick up another task for three minutes and i'm like that irritation comes in. Cause if I could do it myself, I could have walked to the chair already. Yeah. Well, and I'm always hanging on to my wife's arm now when we go somewhere, yeah. but I have my cane ready to go. So I had to get comfortable using the cane too. It's like, oh, it's okay. Yes. It, signals, it helps. It helps everybody. It does. It yeah. does. Oh. In the wheelchair, you and I have what we call visible dimension. We have visible disabilities. So we're always on stage. See? Yes. And you can't hide it. No. Uh, Whereas if I have a, a different disability and it's you can't see it, I can at least hide out. Yeah. But you and I can't do that. So we're always on stage. See, that's my my terminology for that. I like it. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. There, there ain't no timeouts. Even even dumb things like going to the bathroom. That's huge. Oh, thank you for saying that. That is it's huge. ginormous. I mean, it's I got to have somebody with me that can lift me up out of the chair so I can go to the bathroom. And you may not. And, and you can you roll in and grab the, the grab bars? I mean, there's all kinds of things. Not at all. Not at all. Because I don't, I don't have the shoulder strength to pull myself up. You have to physically stand me up. 
So you got to have somebody go in there with you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got to have somebody. So here's the crazy thing. I can, I can walk some if I'm holding on to you, but I can't get out of a chair. I can't get in bed. Mice. I mean, I can plop on the bed, but I can't pull my legs in. You got to throw me in. You got to roll me over at night. So you got to be literally physically handled for everything you do. Okay. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Pretty much. And, and so that's why when you use the word irritation, I just want to air five you through the computer because it's like, oh, I understand. Hey, I could use stronger language, but that's not what. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to double air five you on that. That, that one is perfect. But, I, I, okay. So I, I used to teach human relations classes and there's a thing called righteous anger. Mm. That's different than bitter anger. Right. 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 You, you can have righteous anger. I'm really ticked today. Yeah. And I'm, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, or I'm irritated. I'm more at the irritation stage now. I, I don't, because truthfully, I, you know, I have, I'm, I'm fat and sassy now, Rob. <laughs> I, I sit in my basement, I Zoom. I've had a 34-year consulting career, just about ready to retire. Wow. So now I don't have to fight the battle of discrimination in the same way. And, it, and uh, all this, you know, the Asian violence stuff that's going on, yeah, I was a part of all that, but now I'm fat and sassy. And so I have to be careful and, and just, man, God, I've made it thus far. And the next thing for me is uh, retire, retiring or some memory loss. The aging things are starting to show up a little bit. Can't do what I used to do in the same fervor. Yes. So that, that's a new phase of life for me, see. But at least I've been able to enjoy. I mean, I've had some great experiences Um and obviously some great irritants too, yes. right? Yes. Uh, and the other, the other, I think the biggest thing, and you'll, you'll appreciate this, is not feeling like a man sometimes, oh. especially around the house. Yes, it gets annoying. Yeah, it gets very, really annoying. That part still is a, is a quiet, isolatory moment or moments yeah. in myself. And um, very rarely can I share that with, with people. Oh, I, we, I hear you. We happen to attend something we're at a church now where we've got 20 or 30 families who have someone with a developmental disability so it's changing the narrative for church churches are really guilty for the yeah. most part yes. but we have found a church where uh, we're making an imparent we meaning the collective we yep. those of us with disabilities okay and um people are going to know about us and are getting to know us and we've it's taken a while we've got we have a ministry called team up and we talk to the pastors. We were trying to teach some of the pastors about disability and like that. So yeah. it's it's rare though. Churches are oh man, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> you are so right. You are you are so exactly right. We, we ain't got time to go. No, go we don't. But you are <laughs> so so right. And in being seventy seven, what is the most important thing you've learned so far? Well, the you trust God through others. See, this is where every person that helps you is somebody that God has put in your way. Whether they're whether they're a believer or not, God is still using that person to assist you. And you've got to see the God, the Christ likeness in that person. That'll help release some of the angst. It's still a it's still a pain in the wazoo, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That is. Uh, Oh, it's so good. What I need to do later, Rob, is get your email address and yeah. I'll send you a couple of books. One of them, I talk about my faith. The second book is more of a leadership book 
Okay. You'll still, you'll still like, you'll enjoy reading it because I tell personal stories in there to make my points um, yeah. that's your teaching points about a leader or here's an attribute of an effective leader or setting the climate or letting people help you help them. You got to help you help them or help them help you. Yep. Uh, and that's true, not just on disability, but it's true in other phases of life. So I think you'll enjoy, uh, I'll, I'll make sure you get a couple of books. Once I love it. I just love your, your attitude. And, and I understand you're an avid sportsman, distant oh, yeah. runner. Like I said, my, my son was a, a, a four year, four time state qualifier in cross country. I love watching him run. My wife wasn't it excited. It, it, it hurt and felt good at the same time, didn't it? That's what they tell me. I can't run, so I don't know. But no, no, no. I mean, I mean, as a dad to watch it and you can't be out of the chair and you can't. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you this. My chair goes pretty fast and my voice is pretty loud. So it didn't matter where he was at. On uh, the I suspect you moved it pretty good. I, yeah. su <laughs> I suspect you rolled pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I love chasing. Is that. it? Is it a, a electric wheelchair? I mean, a it is. It is. This is. Oh, yeah, electric. I kind of. Yeah, I motored. I motored, and it's got a little bit bigger tires, so we can we can cover some terrain. We can cover. You no, know, see. It's too bad we weren't closer together. We could go someplace together and boy, we could shake up a place. <laughs> yes, we could. I got to get out to Portland. Come see Tim and Liz and, and then we'll, you and I will go shake up a place. Hey, that would be fun. Hey, I got to tell you a funny story. Uh, when uh, people who are black are always looked at as are people, those of us with visible disabilities, mm -hmm. right? So one time I'm with this, uh, when, when I'm teaching a seminar, I will have, I will call a white guy and a black guy up front and I'll, have the audience tell me what they see. Then they go, oh, they're handsomely dressed. And they, no, no, that's not what I see. And I go to the white guy and I say, no, here's what I see. Corporate executive, uh, has his life together. He's a leadership material and he's always, you know, white is right. And I, then I dismiss the white guy. I go to the black guy and I say, NBA, basketball player, rapper, and all that. And then they're catching on what, I, what I'm doing is calling out the stereotypes. Right. So then I said, okay, now for the black guy, I'll say, you have one more task. You need to take me to someone in the audience, a gorgeous white woman and introduce her to me. Okay, so he, he looks around, he takes me so, to meet a woman. And then I said, they, they, he finds out her name and then they introduce, I said, no, she doesn't know what to do, clutch her purse or hold the door open. <laughs> because in the elevator, what happens is, mm. that's like when I've walked in with an African-American person, I've, I've seen people either clutch their purse or they don't know, do I hold the door open or clutch the purse? They're afraid of the black guy and they feel sorry for the blind guy. So, oh. so I, I have fun using that in a seminar material to teach concepts about right. our reactions to people, right? That are true and sad all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so if you and I showed up, I don't know what they would do. I'm in the wheelchair and they, do I hold the door open? Do I move out of the way so he doesn't run over my toes? What do I? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's learning how to maneuver that. And, and what I've learned now is how to put people at ease within 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah. And, and, and you can do that. You say, okay, here's what you, you teach. Here's yes. What I need. Can you do this for me? And can you do that? Okay, good. I'm good. No, you don't need to do that. Don't, right. don't, don't pull the other into my cane. You know? Right. Right. Let me grab your arm. What I like to do is every now and then my legs get really sore being in the chair. Uh -huh. So I'll meet somebody, whether it's a small group or whatever, and I'm just getting to know them. So they don't know me extremely well. And I'll say, hey, right. can you put, put my foot up on that coffee table? And they'll go to lift it. And I'll be like, ah, 
ow! I'm like, ah, just kidding. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> so, so the, the faith thing, though, you know, back to the faith thing. That's huge. Yeah. And I think we, we it, because God does, God is, can transcend through us. You know, that Romans, well, there's two, two scripture passages that are really big. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. Yes. And then the other go-to scripture for me is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And it talks about being in oneness. Mm. And you'll note that the mission of our company is celebrate oneness. And oneness means let us be diverse together, but we're all different. Yes. Right. Yes. And so those are the, and see, scripture is, you know, in the end, other people have other maladies. Ours are just more uh, uh, all the time. And they're also more visible. Yeah. And uh, you can, once you learn how to take charge of helping people help you, it, it can change the whole narrative. But sometimes you got to be quick because they're going to want to overhelp without asking. Right. Right. And you got to jump in before that happens. Yes. And be like, oh, no, hold on. Here, do it this way. Yes. It works. Yeah. Teachable moments. Wow. This has just been so good. And and this distance runner thing. One thing I did want to ask you about, because I am very intrigued by this, that you were an Olympic to torch bearer at the 1996 Olympic right. Games in Atlanta, right. Georgia. What was that like? What was that all about? Well, you get nominated by different nonprofit organizations to be a torchbearer. Okay. I don't even remember the organization. It was a nonprofit organization that nominated me to be a torchbearer and they submitted my name and the rest is history. Wow. Uh, then you get your assignment. Now I'm in Beaverton, Oregon. That's right outside of Portland, but my assignment was in Salem, which is about an hour drive away. So it was about a four minute experience but the cool part was, well, when I send you the book, I, the whole first chapter is devoted to the entire torch experience. Love it. Uh, and I talk about how I felt on the bus and, and I was feeling kind of down. And, mm. and then all of a sudden, as sports would have it, one of the torch bearers was a Mel Counts who played for the Boston Celtics and the LA Lakers and Wow. He was at Oregon State grad. All of a sudden, I went nuts. You're Mel Counts. And I hit him with every, all the questions. Poor guy got blitzed. Uh, who, what was it like to play with uh, Bill, uh, Elgin Baylor? And who was the best coach you ever played? I mean, I just hit him with questions. And wow. all of a sudden, it was time to go carry the torch of all things. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, that is so Well, awesome. it was cool. You know, you, you felt depressed on the bus. And all of a sudden, as each torchbearer came back onto the bus, you were cheered. And it was a, it was a seminal moment. We sang and we... We just cheered for each other. It was a powerful, powerful moment. Wow, um, that is so neat. That so. is so neat. Steve, I have enjoyed our time so much. We, we always like to ask this question to our guests and it's because we talk about enjoying the journey and you and I, we just have to schedule another time to talk more. Just to talk, just visit, yeah. yeah. Right. Yes, just to talk and, and, and uh, more things happening. But we always like to ask this question because it's called enjoying the journey. If you could have anyone on this journey with you right now, who would it be? Well, before I answer that question, I need to tell you about Roosevelt Thomas, who was an African-American believer, seminal mm -hmm. diversity consultant. He okay. said, diversity is a journey, not a destination. Oh, so true. Okay. Yes. So the journey is not the destination. There's only one destination. And hope, and even with all my imperfections, 
I guess God will accept me up there someday, you know? Yes. Uh, that's the ultimate destination. Right. So you and I are on a journey right now. And right now he's using us to do what it, like an interview like this. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's helping you run that organization. He's helping me be a consultant for government or corporations or schools or now helping our church. I'll still do that next year. You know, that'll be a non-paid thing because nice. I can't retire, retire until it's time to go home. Right. 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 I agree wholeheartedly. So now your question was, was what was. If you could have anybody on the journey with you right now, who would it be? Well, I think that's already happening. I have the Lord with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're asking me, you mean, is there an individual I would want? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Is there an individual? Oh, that opens up a whole nother can of worms. Because when I was a kid, I had all these people I wanted to meet. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think, gosh, I don't know. It's That's a tough question. Yeah. Because uh, everybody, I mean, I, I, I worship, like, are there people, believers? Are there sports stars? Uh, yeah, you, you can know, pick any of them. I, I could pick somebody, but I, I don't know that there's not that the one person, I think. I don't know who would I like to be with. That's an interesting question. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I can answer that question. I, I might have Send you a note later. <laughs> yeah, you can send it out later. We'll, we'll put it in a little. And and it's actually it, it actually came from one of our board members. They're like, well, let's ask that question to each guest. Well, no, no, okay, there's this. Let me let me answer the question this way. I have been able to meet some sports stars that I've admired. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on the same speaking thing. Do you know who Phil Jackson is? Oh yes, oh yes. Okay. He was the opening keynote speaker at this diversity conference and I was the closer. Wow. So I got to meet him. It was a two minute thing. I was uh, in a backup group with Barry Manilow. Got to meet him. See, <laughs> you, meet, you meet people wow. briefly. That's awesome. Uh, the one person that, that I might enjoy being with is Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker, I actually know him. Okay. And he is, and I've watched him in the, how he manages people is phenomenal. Wow. Uh, he treat the way he treats people. He gets diversity and he has five rules. Okay. Don't lie to me. Be on time. Give me all you've got. Don't make the same mistake twice. And if you have a beef with me, come to me instead of going to ESPN. If you do these five things, we're going to get along just fine. I love those five things. That is great counsel. And with that, is there anything else you would love to leave our listeners with today? Uh, stay hopeful. You know, the hope is in him, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I use this quote. You can live 40 days and 40 nights without food, eight days without water, four minutes without breathing and 30 seconds without hope. Oh, amen. And what's true is if you couldn't breathe, you actually could stay alive for three or four minutes without any oxygen. That's true. It would not be pleasant. Right but that 30 seconds of hope is kind of what I sit on. And you've got, we have to be a people. And, and here's the other part of that for you, me and you, Rob, mm -hmm. is we might be the translators, no transmitters for hope for some people. Right. Right. Now the, the, the real deal is sometimes I'm having a horrible day. It's I'm irritated, but the reality is your mere existence is parlaying hope to somebody around you or somebody that sees you. Because we are always on stage, truthfully, when we go out, like it or not. <laughs> you are so correct. 
And I love that. I'm going to take, I love that, that transmitter of hope, a transmitter of hope. I love You're it. a transmitter of hope. Not a translator, but a transmitter. Right? Exactly. Transmitter of hope. Oh, that's so good. And Steve, I have appreciated this so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Enjoying the Journey podcast brought to you by Rise Ministries. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and to follow Rise Ministries on any of our social media channels. Thanks for listening.